want Jelly Willy. We want Jelly Willy. Hello and welcome to Punk Goes Pod, the internet's only podcast that chronicles Fearless Records' Punk Goes series to answer the age-old question, hell yeah or yeah nah? Beautiful. That's all we need to do this week. Just intro, we're done. Yep, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm fucking hilarious, so what can I say? Absolutely. <laughs> How are you? Good. Good. Um... We've we've both seen some live music, some actual international acts. Well, you've seen the Gorillas since yeah. since lockdown, but we've seen some international acts over the last week. Yeah, who did you see? I saw Blood Incantation and Dead Congregation. And how was it? It was fantastic. 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 It was it was actually really cool because, like, at the venue where I saw them. So Blood Incantation came on first and the mm-hmm. Dead Congregation closed. But like members of Blood Incantation were just hanging out. Oh. And like I was so I always find like a wall that I can lean against or like press my back up against because I'm old and everything hurts now. Um and like the guitarist just like came over and was just standing next to me and we were Aww. just chilling out or enjoying some Greek death metal. Um, it was a fantastic night. Cool. Who did you see? I saw Idols. Idols. On, well, we both saw our shows on Halloween, so we were very grown up and went and punted our own individual shows. You could say the music that we've seen is from all around the world. Hey. Do I get to talk about my show? Yes. <laughs> It was good. Um, Yeah, listen to Idols. They're great. I got into them this year and was lucky to nab a ticket on the day of, and yeah. Yeah. No, that was, um, it came down to almost like the last couple of hours. Oh, truly it did. You you worked your ass off to get that fucking ticket and you deserved to see fucking Idols. I did and I do. I feel like the, the... People of idols wouldn't mind if I called it fucking idols. No, no, not at all. But uh, my interrupting segue before is a hint at this week's song, "Around the World" by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, as covered by Hysteric Panic for Punk Goes Nineties Volume Two Japanese Special Edition. <laughs> sitting in my Google Drive, I initially was like, oh, sick, we're covering Daft Punk. <laughs> and that would have just been the funniest, like, cover 
literally just a pop punk cover of Around the World, Around the World. <laughs> you could probably make it work. Yeah, like one, like if you made it hypnotic enough, like the original is, like that would be sick. Yeah, yeah, but with with electric guitars instead of electronic instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's pretty cool. But no, instead we're talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's, yeah, I don't know. I, chili Willy. We, look, we can get into our thoughts on the Red Hot Chili Peppers a little bit later, but I will uh, regale us with some facts about the band. They formed in 1983 from Los Angeles. That's in California, USA. Mm-hmm. Founding members, Anthony Kiedis, Flea, guitarist Hillel Slovak and drummer Jack Irons were all classmates at Fairfax High School. Cool. And I've uh, I want to know is this potentially the first high school or the first they formed in high school band that that we've you know perhaps <sighs> not the first one that we've covered but like are they the proto I feel like forming a band in high school is just such a formative experience though like I had a band in high school for like an afternoon yeah before I realized I couldn't play my instruments <laughs> like yeah. it just lends itself so beautiful like it's the perfect environment because it's like you have no responsibilities you've got nothing else to do as well but high school's so fucking boring and also like you've got that excellent balance of like optimism and like just idealist sort of like we can absolutely do this. Yeah, yeah. You 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 are both invincible and the most creative uh, talent alive, which is, I think, how Anthony Kiedis probably sees himself. <laughs> um, I, I had the thought of like, oh wait, the Beatles were probably a high school band. Probably, so, that's so exactly. Just... I feel like it's. Yeah, I feel like forming a band in high school is just going to be that quintessential experience for so many people though i'm pretty it has been forever i'm pretty sure red hot chili peppers were around before the beatles so yeah that is true they influenced the beatles yeah Yeah. absolutely (laughs) with the scatting they'd influenced the beatles (laughs) and the slap in the (laughs) bass now i couldn't quite figure this one out their first names and it said names on the wikipedia page were tony Flo. And the Miraculously Majestic Masters of Mayhem. Yes. There was no comma separating the two in the Wikipedia article, but I'm assuming these were two separate names? Unless someone was incredibly careless and put an S in names where they shouldn't have. I think this is a case where it really could have done with an Oxford comma for once. Yep. But they didn't put it in. Because, like... Otherwise, it reads like one of those, like, do-what bands, like... Well, it's... I'm Tony Flo, and these are the Miraculously Majestic Masters of Mayhem. I'm Bobby Shane, this is the Batman. <laughs> it's, it's Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. But it's literally like Frankie Valley and the whoever. Four Seasons. That's the one. That's Yeah, that's not that much of a mouthful. But but that's what, like, it's that thing. It's yeah, that that's trope true. Of just the front man and the other ones that have, like, a collective name. And get it, like, the joke is that Tony Flo doesn't fucking exist. Exactly. Exactly. So they were inspired by funk punk acts like Contortions and Defunct, and that's Defunct with a K because it's funk. It's funk. Yeah. Funk punk. God, I couldn't think of anything fucking worse. For five... Anything funkin' worse. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Funk you. For five glorious years. From so... 1193. <laughs> 19... So for time immemorial... 
James Addiction guitarist Dave Navarro played guitar he, for Red Hot Chili Peppers. He played for Red Hot Chili Peppers for since 805 the, years. Since the dawn of time. He was there. It was, he was the, the he was there during the Iron Age. <laughs> Just sitting there with his guitar and having fucking hooks put in him and being a Cenobite. <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure Dave Navarro was the fifth Cenobite from the Hellraiser movies. For a second, I thought Cenobite, you meant, like, just a very early version of, like, prehistoric, like, people. Like, before we'd evolved. (laughs) He lived in the water. (laughs) Then he grew legs. He he came from the primordial ooze. (laughs) I... I realise that this is not at all funny for anyone who isn't looking at our liner notes right now, but yeah. Yeah, I wrote 1193 to 1998. <laughs> From 1993 to 1998. I should show you the first Hellraiser and you'll go, oh yeah, I think Dave Navarro is a Cenobite. I may not be down for it. That's, I think. that's Pinhead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his goons. <laughs> so Pinhead and the Masters of... Manipulative, whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> the Majestic Masters of Mayhem. Pinhead in the Four Seasons. Yes. There we go. I love them. So for five glorious years, Jane's addiction guitarist Dave Navarro played guitar for Red Hot Chili Peppers, even though he stated he was not too into funk. That's such a diplomatic... Like, he just... We... Look, we don't know Dave Navarro at all, but he strikes me as just a very, like, polite individual. <laughs> He strikes me as a very polite individual that's just accidentally shows, like, it just accidentally stumbles into things. Yeah. Like, 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 he, I don't know for how many years he hosted or emceed the fucking adult movie awards. Yeah. But, like, I imagine he was just sort of going past and they were yeah. like, you, Dave Navarro. It's like, so who's emceeing this thing? Oh, shit. And then, like, he just walks past with, like, his thumbs in the belt loops of his jeans. They're like, you. And he was shirtless. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Although, I do love in this latest season of Ink Master how it's now, <laughs> it's Joel Madden. And so, like, they're really doubling down on that. We realise that a couple of our judges uh, have sexual allegations against them. Um, assault sexual assault allegations against them. Sexual uh, allegations are fine. <laughs> yeah, it just means that there's like you're just a, alleging that you've had sex. <laughs> you're just a bit of a kingster. But, but no, there is a difference. And then, like, Dave Navarro doesn't, but also Dave Navarro is a kinky bitch. Yeah. And, like, Dave Navarro, like I said, he's getting hung by hooks and, like, swung on the ceiling and, like, having his nipples tweaked while getting tattooed. And then, like, there's Joel Madden. And Joel Madden's just so clean. But he's so... Like, I'm so... I'm just going to dive into Ink Master for a second. I'm so impressed with, like, he gets it, though. He, he knows his it. shit about tattooing. He does. And he's a good host as well. Like, the, like Dave Navarro shows up in his, like, dad sweater, but his fedora. Yeah. <laughs> On the, on the television every now like and again. Like fucking RuPaul and like all the COVID seasons. Yeah. Man, I, I said to you, I kind of wish that like the judges from RuPaul would like <laughs> do a guest episode on Ink Master and the judges of Ink Master would like guest judge on RuPaul oh. and just like nobody knowing what the fuck they're talking about. That would be wonderful. But anyway, 
like so Dave- I, I, I could talk about talk for a full hour about Dave Navarro even though I don't think I've even like I've listened to like one or two Jane's Addiction songs I would love to get like a like a kombucha with Dave Navarro like that would yeah. be the one excuse for me to drink a booch would be to just talk shit with Dave Navarro for like 10 minutes I <laughs> On his way to hosting the next porn convention. <laughs> On his way to getting, like, his anus waxed or something. <laughs> <laughs> I worked with a woman who who was, a, was, like, I think she was, like, eight or nine years older than me. She was, like, my sister's age. Yeah, yeah. And this is her music. Like, she loves, yeah. like, just 90s music. And it's, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction and Soundgarden. And because she had gone to America a lot. And so she was somewhere like, she was staying with a family in like Kentucky or somewhere weird. And like this weird, just like, like just domestic airport, this tiny airport. And Dave Navarro was there. (laughs) And she's like, she very slyly took a couple of photos of Dave Navarro. Oh no. Why didn't she just go up and say, hey dude. Go up and just be like, what the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck are you doing here, Dave? <laughs> he he had a fucking... Oh, that's right. He had a reality TV show that only aired one episode. That's I think we've right. talked about it we on have. here. With Carmen Electra because she wanted to have kids. So it was like, can I have kids? I'm Dave Navarro. Imagine <laughs> and- if it was like, can I have kids? And then like... The first episode is just going to like a fertility clinic. And they're like, "I'm sorry, you can't," and then that's the end. So, like, and that's not to shame anyone, but just like, yeah, <laughs> they didn't do that homework beforehand. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he would record guitars for one album, one hot minute, 1995. So he's in the band for one hot minute. And yeah, he, he was one hot minute. He was. So for over 30 years. Ketis and Faith No More and Mr. Bungle Singer. 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 It came out of my mouth like that and I was like, I'm just going to roll on. Uh, Mr. Bungle Singer, Mike Patton, have been engaged in a heated rivalry. Red Hot Chili Peppers had toured plenty with Faith No More when original vocalist Chuck Mosley was still in the group. But Ketis accused Patton of copying his singing style and appearance. They look nothing like each other, nor do they sound like each other. They had long... Long brown hair in the 80s. And, like, at the most, the closest thing that Mike would have copied was just, like, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to say this, that, like, fucking Mike Patton could sing circles around Anthony Kiedis. Oh, absolutely he could. And, and and yes, I'm showing my bias here because I'm a Faith No More fan. Yeah. As a, as a Faith No More fan, like, Anthony Kiedis isn't doing, like, Italian operas. No. Also, the the clip of Mike Patton shitting on Wolfmother lives rent-free in my head. Oh, I need to watch that. It's pretty funny. He's doing an interview, <laughs> and it's at a festival in, like, 2006, and, like, woman starts playing. Oh. And he's, like, he's talking, he's like, yeah, so I'm doing a couple of video games. I'm doing this Italian opera. Hang on. What the fuck decade are we living in? <laughs> and he's like, Wolf Mother, Wolf Mother fucking sucks. He's like, he's talking to the interviewer and he's like, tell me, I'm, he's like, tell me I'm wrong. You agree with me, right? And they're like, um, so, uh, <laughs> t- 
touring with Mr. Bungle, right? No, like, they fucking suck. Wolf Mother fucking sucks. What a legend. As an Australian, I can attest, Wolf Mother does fucking suck. I do remember being, like, mind-blown by Mind's Eye when it first came out, being like, yo, this is just like Led Zeppelin, and then literally every other song it was like, and there's another one. I, I mean, my introduction to them was at Big Day Out. Yeah. And I went with my brother. Yeah. And I, like... We're standing there, and my brother was doing this sort of, like, real squinty-eyed look, like, and he's like, <laughs> this band sounds like they wish they were Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they kind of do. Like, it literally was just a carbon copy. Yeah. So, like, for that one single, it was like, oh, this is a cool throwback, and then the rest of it just sucked, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they... Look, every movie from... 2006, every movie and television show from 2006 to like... 2007. <laughs> no, probably like, it went way longer than that. It was probably like from like past 2010. There, whenever a woman did something. Yeah. Woman! She's like scrambling eggs. Woman! Or just shenanigans, like... Yeah. Although Joker and the Thief was reserved for that. Which was them as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. But like, but just fucking, or if like, if it was a woman gets in a fight. Woman! Yeah. (laughs) You got the feeling of love when you're... No, stop, 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 stop. Telling myself that. Uh, Tensions seem to ease throughout the 90s. Between Red Hot Chili Peppers and Faith No More. Well, between Anthony Kiedis and Mike Patton. They remain very heated between us and Wolf Mother. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew Stockdale. Yes. I was going to call him Tisdale. <laughs> yeah, Ashley Tisdale. Ashley old Tisdale. Brother. Yes. Uh, so yeah, tensions seemed to ease throughout the 90s between Anthony Kiedis and Mike Patton, but it kicked back up in 1999. Uh, Mr. Bungle was set to release the album California, but were forced to postpone so as not to coincide with Californication. <laughs> Mike Patton would call Kiedis a, quote, noodle dick in a television interview. So even that, like... <laughs> Call Anthony Kiedis a noodle dick. You're fucking, you're the man. Also, <laughs> also, like, well, unfortunately, uh, three quarters of the current lineup of Red Hot Chili Peppers, Anthony Kiedis being one of them, Flea and drummer Chad Smith, all have pretty gnarly sexual assault allegations against them. Um, I don't really feel in the mood to talk about it because it's pretty not worth getting into them no it's pretty horrible the stuff that they're accused of um but hey it's all right because you know we move on flea got to voice a character in the wild thornberries and chad smith looks like will farrell so yeah they're good guys did that snl thing or whatever it was yeah um so another point for mike Patton is i like i looked him up and there doesn't seem to be any fucking dark skeletons in his closet no I gotta say, like, calling someone a noodle dick just has the same energy as that suck my wheelie dick. Oh, it's so good, though. <laughs> Fucking noodle dick. It's not like, it's not saying that you got a little dick, it's saying you got a weird dick. <laughs> it's just saying you've got a flaccid dick. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Would you like to talk about the song? Sure. So. Uh, Around the World was the second single from the Red Hot Chili Peppers' 1998 album, Californication. Uh, the song was written by guitarist John Frusciante. Yeah. 
um, and produced by Rick Rubin. I just it occurred to me that frusciante is one of those words I've read so many times but never actually pronounced out loud. Really? Yeah. Huh. There you go. Or at least maybe like twice in my lifetime before now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, produced by Rick Rubin. So just a quick recap of Rick Rubin's career. Uh, he produced such albums as Rain and Blood by Slayer, Licensed to Ill by the Beastie Boys, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back by Public Enemy, Danzig by Danzig, and my personal favourite, Make Believe by Weezer, which is a genuinely sick album. Justice <laughs> for Make Believe. He... Oh, yeah, Rick Rubin has so many credits oh, to Oh, yeah, he's worked with everyone. Well, I was looking like... Like, I was, I was tailoring it to sort of yours and my... Uh, tastes, but also like, I mean, your taste, he, he was He's done so many, like Green Day and all that, I think. And like he produced, or one of the, one of the producers on Art Pop by Lady Gaga. Oh shit, hang, I'm gonna look, do you, I'm sorry, I have to do this. You know I love to look up production credits. Um, will you do that and I will continue on. Yeah. So according to Ketis, the song is about his experience touring with Red Hot Chili Peppers and living an extreme life. The movie, sure. Life is Beautiful, now I will uh, tell you, the Life is Beautiful is a, an Italian movie about a family being sent to a concentration camp during the yeah. last days of World War II. Uh, this was apparently also an inspiration yeah. for Around the World. Jesus. Um, that's, I remember liking uh, Life is Beautiful. I want to watch it. I feel like I will never stop crying, but also I feel like it's... Worth at least one watch. Yeah, because it's it's. I mean, it's so it's about a yeah family that gets sent to a, an Italian family that gets sent to a concentration camp. The dad and his son are sent to one, and and the wife is sent to like a women's concentration camp, and he's just like he knows that him him and his kid are gonna die. Yeah. Uh, so he just tries to make the kid happy for his last days, and so he says, "We're here to work so that we can we can earn points to get a tank." And so, like, it's about, it's about, like, earning points for this tank. And, and, yeah, so, like, the last, basically the last shot is the, the camp is stormed and the kid is, like, basically the last person surviving there and he's just standing out in all this rubble and then a fucking tank, like, an American, like, an American tank just pulls up and he thinks he's won that. (laughs) So it's like, it's... It's, yeah, it's sad, but sad, but sweet. But it's also just like, come on, dude, (laughs) just saying that to sound deep. Uh, Also, according to Ketis, the different vocals in the final chorus is Ketis scatting per the request of his daughter who wanted to hear him scat in a song. Um, Considering some of the shit that he does in the film clip of this song, I'm embarrassed that he has a child at that point in his life. (laughs) Uh, He's allowed to enjoy sex. We don't know what his... That's true. But sex with basically, like, an essence. Um, I'm just going to say it's not scatting, it's just him being fucking racist. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to repeat it here, but I might put a clip right here of what he does. So I told a huge lie. So he hasn't worked with Green Day, but I feel like I've just heard Rick Rubin. So 
just fact-checking myself. Um, but to make up for that, I will note that of one of the one of the many albums he worked on was Mr. Hanky the Christmas Poo mm-hmm. in 1999. Yep. So solid, solid... Um, By the South Park Boys. But yeah, he's worked on a shit ton of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, Audio Slave, The Mars Volta, Limp Bizkit, Jay-Z, The International Noise Conspiracy, like just everyone. Basically, like, if there was a an American metal album, like, mildly popular, moderately popular, um, <laughs> it's not spicy at all, moderately popular metal album or, um, like, rap album from the 80s and, like, early 90s, it was most likely fucking Rick Rubin had his hands on it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the most recent album he has credits to is from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep. Return of the Dream Canteen. Cool. So just a long-time collaborator by the sounds of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, that the scatting is just... Speaking of Mr. Hanky, the scatting is just It's awful. scat. <laughs> yeah. It's a big scat mark <laughs> on the history of music. Uh, would you like to continue talking yes. about the song? Thank you. Uh, in 2007, Around the World was heavily edited and used as a new soundtrack for the Rockin' California Screamin' Ride at Disney California Adventure. Uh, Dope. And then... It, it kind of makes me think of when the Flight of the Concords have their song put in a card. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of like weird ways to put their song on something. Yep. Um, Mr. Bungle performed, performed a Bach version... Uh, performed a mock version of the song at a Halloween concert. So the band were dressed up like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, and during what was a pretty charged performance, Mike Patton changed the lyrics derisively. Derisive? Derisively. Derisively. Jesus. Uh, and in the middle of the show, bassist Trevor Dunn, who was dressed as Flea, walked up to guitarist Trey Spruance, who was dressed as the ghost of Hillel Slovak. Who had who died? He, he, he'd been he'd been dead for like ten years. That's awful. Yeah, and simulated inject oh, Jesus simulated injecting him with heroin. At this point, Mike Patton screamed, "You can't shoot up a ghost!" Kiedis responded by having Mister Bungle pulled from the two thousand Big Day Out festival. Like I, Jesus Christ, I hold Mike Patton to a higher regard than Anthony Kiedis, but I don't. I can't defend that. No. You can't really defend that. Jesus. What a... Just... Oh, anyway. Um, the song reached 49 on the ARIA charts, 18 in Canada, 2 in Iceland, 35 in the UK, and 7 in the US. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? I always forget how, like, bass... Not like that the bass is, like overpowering but like how bassy well they just put bass like front and center like it's very much like a like it's funk yeah yeah um i swear to god though he he tries to come up with some reason why he fucking wrote the lyrics and i swear he just has a word journal that just like he writes a bunch of phrases Mm. and just, like, either pins them up on the wall and, like, throws darts at them or just, like, blindly points at them and goes, yep, that'll be my next line in the verse. Like, it's... I don't know. His vocals have always seemed kind of 
really, like, really trying to be... Almost like beat poetry, kind of just, like, weird... Yeah. Shit. I... Like, did did you ever go through... Did you have, like, a Chili Peppers phase, or...? Um, I was adjacent to someone who did have a Chili Peppers phase. Mm -hmm. And so, by extension... Because I thought she was cool and I wanted her to think I was cool. I thought they were cool. But, like, in saying that, the Chili Peppers' like, best of album is genuinely solid. Like, top to bottom, that is a good listen. Like, okay. we, we owned that on CD when I was a kid. And, like, that's one that I would... If I haven't already pinched it, I probably will next time I go home. Yeah. It's just... It's good. Like, good collection of songs. Um, but in saying that... I don't consider them geniuses or anything. I, like, all of my friends in high school loved the Chili Peppers. And so I tried. I really tried. Yeah. And, like, every time I would think, oh, this is starting to sound cool, the beach would come into it. And by that I mean just, like, and not like not like the 50s sort of, like, Beach Boys surfer kind of uh, like the like the sort of tremolo guitars and that sort of stuff. It was, it's that sort of like we're gonna hang out on the beach, do heroin and like think really introspectively. Yeah, yeah. And that would always just pull me right out. Like, they're, yeah, they're one of those bands where like simultaneously, I think they did a good job of like reaching across a divide yeah. between different types of music fans because like lots of people. Kind of like the Foo Fighters, like, lots of people like them and they're from different walks of life in terms of, like, what kind of music they listen to. But at the same time, it sounds like they're, like, they sound like a parody of world music almost. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I, yeah, I don't know, I, I, fuck, I was going to say something, but yeah, uh, like, I know that. Like, I think my brother had the same thing. Like, I think when he was maybe in high school, like, his friends were going through. And, like, so he had one album. And so, like, I burnt that album, which was Californication. Yeah. And I think we were both just sort of like, yeah, don't really. doesn't really gel with us. They definitely strike me as one of those bands where their hits are really good, but Mm. the rest of the album does feel like filler. Yep. Um, Probably not the fairest assessment because I don't know if I've ever listened to a Chili Peppers album top to bottom, but, like, I'm sure I probably heard Californication, at least a significant chunk of it, somewhere in my youth. I thought you meant the song, not No, the, no, no, like, the album, the album in full. But genuinely, like, their best of is good. Like, they have a significant, like, back catalogue in terms of, like, radio hits and that. And when they do a good song, they do it bloody well, but it's just... They're so quintessentially, like, 90s and so quintessentially, yeah. like, Californian. Yeah, and they they are very firmly rooted, even now, in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember, like, the thing that I remember about the Chili Peppers in the 90s was over here our obsession with Flea, because Flea's Australian. Yeah. Well, yeah. Flea's, yeah, Australian-born, but... Uh, like a dual citizen. Yeah. Um. I th- I thought for a while that he maybe was the reverse Mel Gibson because Mel Gibson has an American and an Australian parent and they moved over here. Yeah. And then he lived over here and, and of course, like, he had that Australian accent because he was Mad Max, he was in Gallipoli if you watch the first Lethal Weapon. He can't 
not do an Australian accent yeah. in that movie. But I think it was just, it was Flea's parents were both Australian. They moved to New York mm. uh, for his dad's work and then they got divorced and so his dad moved back to Australia ah. and, and then his mum, uh, like I think, married a jazz Oh shit! Okay. A jazz musician in California, and yeah. that's how he got introduced to music. But I just remember we were so obsessed with. Oh Flea yeah, like Flea was the best. It, like because we didn't really. I'm trying to like I'm trying to think of like who we had to kind of cling on to that was that successful in the '90s. Like yeah, I, I guess there was Spider Bait, but they probably didn't even make it that far beyond like that one song that was in um Ten Things I Hate About yeah. You. Um, and then I mean later on in the 2000s they they get their most popularity with Black Betty. Yeah. Um, Good God, that was terrible. But, the, like, like, I'm trying to, like, I, like we had Kylie. Yeah. But she never really felt like ours, to be honest, I feel. Well, because cause she went to England. Yeah. And then just became, like, they just glommed onto her in terms of their UK pop culture. But if you listen to Kylie, she still has an Australian accent. She's still, yeah. she's still like, oh, no, Australia's my home. But it's like... But to me, like, her enunciation and everything when she sings is very, like... Yeah, it's to, it's for a broader audience. Yeah. And I don't really blame a person if it's like, I live on this island that has 20 million people, or I can move to an island that has over 100 million people, I can access both that way that would be very funny if she was just like i'm spinning around move out of my get, way get the fuck out of my way can't <laughs> but even stuff like she came back to be like the daughter in kath and kim yeah, and very cute yeah uh, what's her name tiffany uh, or uh epony ray epony ray sixpence none the richer Epony. Um, like we had like Russell Crowe was getting popular in the late nineties. Yeah. Um, but he was also like we had that like that tug of war of like, but is he Kiwi? Oh, he's throwing mobile phones and getting angry at people. Yeah, no, he's Kiwi. Like, go back to New York. <laughs> oh, he's doing gladiator. No, 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 come back, come back. Sort of the same thing that we did with Mel Gibson. Or like what America did with Mel Gibson when he was like doing his like Anti Semitic anti Semitic shit and they were they're like, Oh, that crazy Australian, it's like he hasn't lived in Australia for over twenty years. What are you talking about? Yep. Um, but yeah, that's that. That was sort of my memory of the Chili Peppers is like the obsession with Flea because he was Australian. He was yeah. considered ours, which I don't even know if he really considers himself to be Australian <sighs> anymore. Like I, I'd read that in an interview in like, like I think ten years ago or something. He said, "When I retire, I'm going to move back." Yeah. Um. God knows when that'll be, though. Who who cares if he doesn't? And that's, yeah, exactly. (laughs) The world will continue to spin if he doesn't. Australia will continue to thrive if he doesn't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. uh, So, yeah, I, in, in short, I think this song, I've gotten enjoyment out of it for the few times I've listened to it. Yep. For this podcast. Um, like, of course, I'd heard it before, but I, if I'd had to listen to this song over and over again, it would drive me insane. It's, yeah, it's one, like, it's catchy, but then to the point of annoying if you're focusing on it. But then also, in a week's time, I reckon I will not be able to conjure up what any of the verses sound like. Because it's very, it's very, like, static in his delivery of, like, the lyrics in the in the verses, um, 
And then it's sort of like it's smooth. It does smooth it out in the chorus. Like, but like, I feel like Anthony Kiedis, he very much follows. He's one of those artists that does have a very distinctive, like vocal, Mm. like, like almost like speech pattern. I don't know what, like cadence almost. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it follows a sort of rap rock template, but like, I feel like the way that he, like, just the specific, like, flow is not the right word because it's not the right genre, but, like, just the... Like, I know that's mm. literally... That's that other song. But, like, it's sort of like how the Beastie Boys have, always have, like, a... Like, it's... I feel like he leans very heavily on that same kind of... Rhythm, yeah, yeah, rhythm, flow, whatever you want to call it, cadence, staccato, whatever. Like, but for some, I think for that reason, I couldn't conjure up what the verse sounded like until I heard it. And I was like, ah, yes, okay. I, I mean, I kind, I quite enjoy the the very, the very sort of short, sharp bass notes. I, I can, I don't even know if I can actually recall the how the guitar goes in the intro. Oh yeah, no, I can, but I couldn't tell you what the rest of the guitar is like No, until basically the end, which I think is just guitar. Um, I, I can't really, and it was written by him, by yeah. Frucciante. Um, so you, I would have thought that written by the guitarist, he might give it more of a focus on guitars. Um, but obviously not. But- I feel like in hindsight they strike me as a band that are very good at writing hooks. Yeah. Yeah. But then, again, when it's sort of filler, like be that a verse or like a track nine on an album or something, it's just like, okay. I I do have another memory of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Because, like, when you'd see those ads on television for, for the next album and they'd play, like, snippets of the yeah, singles. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't think it was Californication. I think it was, might have been Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic. Okay. That would have which, been fairly early, I feel. Whichever one had Suck My Kiss on it. Or maybe it was uh, like a, a... Suck My Kiss. Maybe it was when it was, there was a it best of. It could have of. been the best of, because I distinctly remember the ad. Like, just... I think it was based off that alone. Our, my family unit collectively decided we need to own that. I I remember whatever ad it was, it ended with... Yeah, Anthony Kiss I going, think... That- Suck My... And so, like, I remember being at home and just, like, loudly going, Suck My Kiss! <laughs> And my mother getting very upset with me thinking I said something horrible. <laughs> Suck my noodle. Suck my uh, noodle. noodle. <laughs> I I do have a... F- well, I, uh, the, I'm going to just call it the racist bit yeah. in this song. Um, there is a story that it, that it reminds me of... When I was in prep, so for any non-Australians, prep is the first year of school. So I was five when I first started, five mm-hmm. going on six. And because we always had Japanese teachers come and, and help uh, teach us Japanese and stuff about Japan, uh, a whole classroom of five-year-olds were being introduced to a to a lovely Japanese teacher. I don't remember her name, unfortunately. Um and she, it was either her or the teacher was like, oh, does anyone know any Japanese songs? Oh, no. That they, that they would like to sing. 
And the and this one kid gets up and basically does Anthony Kiedis's rendition. Oh. Not like not Anthony Kiedis's, but does Jesus. And it was just sort of like they were just sort of like, oh, thank you. No, that's not quite. And it was just sort of like, oh my god, why are you asking a bunch of five year old yeah. Australian kids if they know any Japanese songs? No, yeah, I. Mm, <laughs> but it was just like, just thinking back at that in my thirties, like, oh wow. Yeah, five-year-old kid getting up and That's, basically yeah. doing doing what Anthony Kiedis does in this song. Look, to be honest, I buy that he is just scatting, but it just doesn't translate. Like the he hits that nasal note pretty hard, though. That's the thing. Like, yeah, if it was just like bidu bidu bidu, I'd be like, okay. He that I mean, that's a shit scat that I just did. That's that scat was scat, but. If it was like, if you did it with some bass or something, or like, skimminiminim, yum, 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 yum. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't buy it. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm just being too lenient. I don't know. I want to believe that it wasn't done with malice, but also. I don't, I don't think it would have been done with malice. I think it would have just been that ignorance that, uh, yeah, that sort of ignorance that we had about like other cultures and about. Mm. other you know other sexualities and that sort of stuff in the 90s i think it's i think that's what strikes me as interesting is because like i said they did always sort of present themselves as like a worldly band yeah and a band that was very open to different experiences and stuff but then you do like there's this kind of very closed-minded way of Mm. yeah like pretending to yeah or I don't know, all the allegations that are stacked. It's just like, hmm. I feel like, and they took it down, unfortunately, but the Catatonic Youth's oh, Instagram page so had, someone had compiled like a whole bunch of times that Anthony Kiedis did that live on stage. And that's, I think that for me is the <clears throat> kicker is like, oh. Uh, I feel like if people bought it, they probably wouldn't do that. They'd probably just go, oh, okay. But I feel like because maybe people suspect that it's fucking racist. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I'm opening up my water bottle. I f- yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like... Yeah, it strikes me as a tough one because, like, if he stops doing that bit live, he's more or less admitting, like, yes, I meant it to be racist. Yeah. So I don't think he necessarily... Like, if he genuinely didn't mean to be a shit about it, then I can see why he would still be doing it. Yeah. But then also... That still doesn't really quell those fears of like, were you just being a racist? I think if it was in any other song that wasn't about yeah the fucking world, like if it was any other song that wasn't about like other places that yeah, was, like literally like oh the world's pretty cool. Like if he was like dream of californication be i'd be like okay that's that's yeah. that's a weird addition but all right like he's talked about like romping and stomping uh oh no like he talks a lot about mostly just well it's just like he's basically saying like oh i could go to all these places and do these things oh that's right i've been around the world back from bombay yeah but then he mostly just talks about america oh as they do when they do in sicily Wake up the cake, it's a lake, she's kissing me. I don't... Uh, Swiss under- mountains. I do not understand verse three 
around the world, I feel dutiful, take a wife because life, life, life is, is just like, what does that mean? Well, that's his inspiration of the movie that he's took from the movie, <laughs> fucking Life is Beautiful. What like, do you, what do you think of the film clip for this song? <laughs> it was a, it was a shock to my eyes when I saw it this afternoon because I remember it from being a kid and from like, probably on that ad for the best of or yeah. like, I remember seeing clips where, like, Anthony Kiedis is sitting there, like, doing the, like, <laughs> just cutting shapes with his hands and you being would... like, oh, wow, that's trippy. It's like you sort of playing, or, like... Well, it's like when you, if you have, like, a sparkler and you sort of move it around really quickly or, like, you get it on camera and it sort of, like, keeps yeah. the shape. Yeah, for, exactly. Like, a, a split second. And, and you were looking at your phone and I'm like, no, you need to... I'm, <laughs> I'm going to rewind because you need to look at this. And then it turns out that he's, like, macking on with, like, just a silhouette of a person. He sucks his fingers and then imitates that he's inserting those fingers uh. inside a uh, a ghost woman. And, like... <laughs> there's, there's a scene in the original Ghostbusters movie where Dan Aykroyd has his, like... Suck, you know, he, he gets, sucks his kiss. I was gonna, I was trying desperately to come up with some way to say a ghost sucks his kiss. Oh, really? In the original Ghostbusters, oh my yeah. Go- this I always is- thought that was just a joke. Well, no, it's a dream. Okay. So it's not, it doesn't actually happen, but there's still a sequence in that movie where in a dream, Dan Aykroyd gets blown by a ghost. Good God. And in fucking the around the world film clip, Anthony Kiedis gets it on with what I can only imagine is a ghost. But like, because obviously they would have edited that for, like, my child eyes when I was a kid. Yeah. So I remember seeing that and just picked, like, to me that was sort of the equivalent of, like, the trope when, like, someone gets really high and they just, like, stare at their fingers or something. Like, to Mm. me it was sort of, like, the equivalent of, like, being like, wow. Or, like, in Zoolander when um, Hansel is just going, like... Oh, yeah. Like, just the... To me, I sort of took it as, like, shorthand for being like, wow, I'm really tripped out right now. What's going on? But then it turns out that... And so, like, first of all, if you want to watch an excellent music video of someone getting down with a ghost, watch the one for Special Needs by Placebo, because that fucking rules. Oh, okay. They actually execute it really well, and, like... Yeah, they sort of mimic, like, hands or the shape of body, and it doesn't come across as, like, that cringe. Yeah. I think that's the thing is like, like I'm not gonna yuck anyone's yums. Like, go for it. Like, if you want to make out with a sexy ghost, go for it. Like, as long as you've cleared it with like, what does it mean? What does it have to do with fucking traveling around the world and being in a band though? But to me, like, it's not even. It's just the cringiness of it. Yeah. Is like, as soon as you remove the special effects, you have Anthony Kiedis, yeah, like simulating like sexual activity with nothing. And a director being like, alright, cut, like... Yeah, it's not even just, like, the finger bit, like, he full, like, act, like pretends to, like, thrust inside. I think and- he pretends to, like, perform, like, oral, and, like, yeah. it's just like, okay, like... But to me, because... And probably, like, well, yeah, because it isn't executed very well, and to be fair, it was the 90s, but also, like, Placebo was the early 2000s, I think. Anyway, um... It just, yeah, if you remove... The trickery from it. I'm just left with a very sad image of like Anthony Kiedis being like, yes, and I'm going to like mimic all this stuff and someone's going to be filming me and watching me and giving me directions. And that just makes me cringe so hard. Anthony Kiedis, who looks like the sword of Damocles is hanging over his head. There ain't no crime. Um, 
he looks like Rocky from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He really does. <laughs> but it's, yeah, to me, this sort of like, this is kind of a good example of what the Red Hot Chili Peppers are and have always been. It's like, they purpose themselves to be like children of the world. And don't get me wrong, I really like their music, but like, they kind of just like to have their dicks out. And mm. like, a lot, yeah. Even that video we were watching for um, whatever song it was with Dave Navarro. Dave Navarro, Warped. It's just like, they strike me as the kind of dudes that like at some point, and I don't know how fair this is, but like, they just strike me as dudes who like grew up walking around with their shirt off and... Well, yeah, they're they're, they're from Venice Beach, like... But just like that 80s. sort of, that macho, kind, like to me... Yeah. That is just, it's this kind of very specific brand of like, just guys being dudes. I don't think they did a film clip with shirts on for like the first half of their career. Yeah. Um, like to like it's different, like, and again, it's probably not the best analogy, but like, I don't know. Um, like what's my, no. Yeah. What's my age again? You've got them running around with like, no clothes on and they're probably taking the piss out of red hot chili peppers. And, but that's the thing is like, whereas these guys that, yeah, it reminds me a lot of, is it Spider in School of Rock, just that very overly sexual, like just like constantly rubbing his nips. The guy, like, the guy who's wearing who's a shirt a- that's just like that's just sleeves. Yeah, like it's just that very like overt. And again, like that's fine, but like in certain aspects, it could also come across as like kind of aggressive and a bit wanky. Anthony Kiedis strikes me as the kind of person who probably has looked at what Jared Leto's doing, how Jared Leto. Uh, let's not mince words. Has a cult yeah. um, for his band Thirty Seconds to Mars that he runs on an island, and they have competition. I'm pretty sure, allegedly, there's competitions where it's like spend a night in Jared Leto's Aww. bed. Um, I, I, Anthony Kiedis strikes me as the kind of person that would look at that and go, "Should have done that." I don't. Yeah, I find like I to me they're just perpetually stuck in the '90s. Like they haven't progressed, but even back then they felt kind of dated. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, he just strikes me as the kind of person that I would just love to say, we get it, you have sex, but you're you're the lead singer of a very famous band and you have a six-pack. Like, is it really that hard? Like, I remember reading the first 40 pages of his book and then going, wait a second, I don't give a fuck about Anthony Kiedis. That's the thing. It's like, I've always been curious to read it, but at the same time, it's like I... If I was going to do that, I'd rather just read, like, Can I Say by Travis Barker or something like mm. that. Like, I don't know. He's very, like, a dime a dozen. Yeah. But then also, that's not, like, I also cannot dispute that they have been wildly successful. And oh, of course. They were very, like, key to, like, just my overall music education growing up, I'm sure. But it's just, they're just, they're dudes. They're yeah. dudes that play funk music and that's fine. And they kind of look, they kind of look a bit silly now in their sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just sort of like, again, we just, we, we get it. At one point you were a sex object. They're kind of just, to me, they're like the music and like audio visual equivalent of like, we get it. You smoke weed. Yeah. But we get it. You have sex. Yeah. Yeah. We get it. You fuck. And like, I think that's kind of the difference that I feel that the, the different, vibes I get between Anthony Kiedis and Dave Navarro. It's like, cause 
Ketis talks a lot about sex and yeah. everything else where it's like, it's sort of like he probably like corners you at a party and talks about like his tantric experiences and all that sort of shit. Whereas David Navarro, you, you just know that he has sex and he probably doesn't have to like fucking brag about it. Yeah, they're, I don't. They're just they're like they're hacky sack music. Yeah, that's exactly, and that's exactly why I was put off by them. Yeah, because every time like something cool would happen with their music, then the fucking hacky sack would be pulled out, and the fucking <laughs> the fucking white dude with the dreadlocks and the rasta hat would come out, and like yeah, yeah. it's just like it was just nineties beach music, and I can't fucking stand that shit. But you know what isn't nineties beach music? Uh Taylor Swift. Hysteric panic. So, hysteric panic. I actually have some details about these about these boys. Uh, they formed in 2012 from Nagoya, Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were also friends in high school. They were. The band employs the talents of three different vocalists, and they describe their sound as blending Japanese lyrics and characteristic Japanese melodies with the essence of J-pop. Uh, and that's all the details. It's better than. Yeah. Usually it's just, they come from Tokyo. Yeah. Because usually the band... And unfortunately I can't get a translation of this interview they did kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, What do you think of this song? (laughs) It's hectic, but like... It's... I think this one I can squarely and very confidently place it in the category of like, I don't like this cover, but I appreciate it so much. I will die defending this thing. <laughs> I will die placing this thing. Even the cat is looking at me from the living room. I will die placing this thing probably in my top five favorite covers. Oh really? <laughs> I will I will I will die on that hill. This thing this thing is utter genius. And I fucking love it. I, oh. I love I love every the moment that he fucking opens with his vocals and goes <laughs> I am I am sold on this fucking song. Yeah. Yeah. Sold on it. And it's, there is not a single sequence that is the same as the last sequence. It progressively gets faster. It has fucking moments that goes so heavy and then it goes back into being funky. It and sounds then, like Nightcore half the time as well. Like, cause it's just, yeah, yeah, it's nuts. It's so over the top and like, if I'm going to, comp- if I would compare them to like another Japanese band, they're basically like 
the light side version of Duran Gray. Yeah. Where Duran yeah. Gray is just like, we are miserable, we are nihilistic, and the world is fucked, and we're fucked, and this is all terrible, and and we we want to do heavy but very pretty music, and Hysteric Panic is like, oh no, everything's all good. It, we got pink hair. <laughs> literally, it's just, it's that line from Ron Burgundy, like, I hate you, Ron Burgundy, but God damn it, do I respect you. Do I respect you, you. Like, yep. I couldn't listen to this cover all day in saying that. Let me just look up. I listened to this cover on repeat seven times the first time I heard it. <laughs> seven times when I first fucking heard it. It's that good. And I love, I love his pronunciation on a lot of the words. Yeah, yeah. Hello, hello, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's so cute. It's... It's so good. I hope that doesn't sound infantilizing, but like I genuinely love how earnest it is. Yeah. It's grating as fuck. I can't do it, but like I just I love the energy so much. Yeah. And like we watched another one of their like a music video for one of their other songs, um, Usotsuru. And it's just bonkers. Like <laughs> it's basically like three or four different bands have just been thrown into a sack and told to fight it out. Like You've got a dude who looks like Fat Mike. You've got a dude who looks like he's from like a not like a core band, like a metal core band. Like and the, you've got the lead singer definitely. He has like the black hair with the fringe and like the red stripes, so he looks like he's come out of an MCR concert. Yeah, like... but it just, but it's so like it's just hectic, but in such a good way. It's like I'm gonna. Like, their take on basically the racist part as oh. well, where, like, they all just pipe in and basically just go... <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, I was saying to you, I wonder if they just sat in the room and went, I'm pretty sure he's making fun of Asian people here. What do white people sound like? Oh, they just sound like... <laughs> it does, to me, like, it does sound a lot like, yeah, they're taking the piss out of just what a dumb American band would sound like, and they nail it. I, to use a wrestling analogy, the Japanese wrestler Tetsuya Naito yeah. wrestled in Mexico, and of course, a Japanese wrestler in Mexico, they were like in like little shows, there would be racist idiots mm. doing the slant eyes, and so he would just go up to them and like widen his <laughs> one of his eyes, and that just became his thing. Like even when he went back to Japan. He would just, that was his like sort of pose, but it was just basically like, yeah, well, fuck you. This is what I think. And so it's just sort of like, it kind of makes me think of that. Just sort of like, oh, you think we sound like that? Well, you sound like this to us. Oh, that's brilliant. That's so good. What a legend. I just, I, words can't describe. Like I just, even, even if I'll fucking fight the band themselves just to tell them that I fucking love this cover. It just... This is, and again, like, we say this every time we come across an example that's so good, but, like, this is what we're looking for. Yeah. Because, like, they turn it on its head so much. So, like, yes, you can still recognise what it is, but, like, even just the cadence, like, the flow of it is different. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous, but it's so, so good. Even, like, I will say, like, the chorus is kind of, like, the punkest thing we've done on this podcast in a long yeah, while as well yeah. it feels like literally it's like a punk cover through and through yeah this is this is kind of like if you have any if you were like what does math metal sound like yeah. this is kind of 
a small introduction, I guess, because like math metal is very chaotic like this yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but no, I as I said, I will fucking I will die defending this thing. Uh, yeah. It's not for me, but it's extremely good. Yeah. Like, it just... Yeah. I respect it so, so much. Yeah. Me too. I respect them. Hey, if you're listening to this hysteric panic, get on the podcast. We'll talk to you. That would be so good. And, uh, we, uh, we, we, we give it a big thumbs up. Any final thoughts before we give our assessment? Uh... We've we've sort of said what we what we wanted to say. Um, I don't think I really have anything else to say about the Chili Willies. No. Um, like I said, like yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sweltering at the moment. No, that's fine. Hell yeah, or yeah, not. Look, I'll give I'll give both a hell yeah. Yeah. Um, as I said, I I enjoyed the original for the few times that I listened to it for this podcast. Yep. Kind of like what you were saying about the cover, I couldn't listen to this no. too much more. No. I'm going to give it you? a hell yeah, and I'm probably going to listen to their best of again in the next couple of days. Hell, yeah. hell yeah. 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 Hell hell yes. Until next time, this has been Around the World. Be bop ba doop bop. <laughs> <laughs>